Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Oh, I made a big mistake. <laughs> I started watching the news again. Ugh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, you have the same response I did. Man, we're in trouble. <laughs> It's like there is this craziness going on in our world. It's nuts, and it concerns me. Um, I just, it's funny. It was like hearing Melanie and Kim, I was just like, oh, it's the Lennon sisters. You know, it's like the days of Lawrence Welk are far, far gone behind us. A bubbles, a bubbles, a bubbles are all gone. But I don't know about you. I don't know how you see what's going on around us. I don't know if you're worried about it. I don't know if you're concerned about it. I don't know if you think, man, how did we get here and will we ever go somewhere else? Uh, Hopefully today we'll spark some thoughts about what can be done about what's going on in our world because it's like we are not hopeless nor are we helpless to impact our world. And I really, I I say this from time to time, and people are like, eh. But I believe there are Pauls in our church, and Peters, and Timothys, and just Daves, and you know, that can impact the world around us. I think the world wants us to think, you know, oh, you can't do anything. There's nothing you can do. And that's true, to a point. Because there's this little verse that says, I can do one thing with Christ who strengthens me. Is that right? Is that how it goes? No. How many things? All. So we can impact this world. We have to remember that it's like with God, it is completely possible. With God, we are able. Now today we're going to be in the the book of 2 Timothy. Hopefully you're excited about that. I know I have been, uh, even more so since I've been living there all week and just kind of soaking in what's going on uh, through Paul and Timothy here. But just to kind of give you a little background, because I'm jumping into chapter 2, but the subject of 2 Timothy is how to remain strong in the midst of a collapsing civilization. Would you agree we might be able to learn something here? Paul wrote this letter from prison. The Roman society in the first century was in rapid decline. Uh, Today we see the same issues. A sin-soaked, crumbling culture, permeated with moral disintegration, pornography, devalued life, child abuse, crime, poverty, Satanism, occultism, and ethnic division. Happy, happy stuff, isn't it? The world was in political crisis and social chaos. Does this sound familiar? Does it sound even remotely close? It's hard to believe that this was written so long ago because it sounds like it could have been written last week. But we're reminded again, Ecclesiastes tells us there's nothing new under the sun. You know, these cycles happen. And I think that's important for us to remember. Because it's like we can get to this place where we think, oh man, it's just, it's, we're just going to continue to go down the hill, crash and burn, and it's over. But no. God raises people up. God raises groups up. God raises things up to do his work, to get involved, to make changes. And it's funny, you know, today it's called, you know, a message of my sermon is a faithful follower. 
and originally was going to be intentional revival. And I just, I, I wrestled back and forth, but really I, I want to focus on us as individuals today in the sense of us and God can do a lot, do so much more than we really think. I mean, we have impact that we don't ever realize, uh, whether it's just a kind word here or there, or it's helping out. Uh, last Sunday, there were so many people, we had so much help to, to make things happen. It was just a blessing. Because it was like, just stuff kept happening, stuff kept happening, people kept coming in, I'm here to help, I'm here to help. And what a blessing that was. And so it just, it's very, you know, it reminds me that, hey, as the church, when we become united, we, we get together on the same page and we move forward, God can make a huge difference in this community, in this state, in this nation, in this world. And we have to kind of look ahead and not get, it's, it's so easy to get distracted by what's going on around us. So easy. Now, it's interesting. My wife and I have been talking about what I'm about to present for quite a while now. But just the whole idea of today's culture. Uh, because it's, it's very interesting where we live day in and day out. And it's like, here's four things that seem to be the buzz of today's culture. Happiness is the ultimate goal. Feelings are the ultimate guide. God is the ultimate guess. And judging is the ultimate sin. Yes, it's like, oh, how dare you? How dare you say I painted the sky red? That's blue. Oh, well, uh, not according to the rest of the planet, but that's where we live. And it's one of those things where it's like, as long as it makes you happy, it's okay. There's a lot of stuff out there that makes people happy that is not okay. And if that becomes our guide, if that becomes what happens, I mean, I'm, it's like for a long time now, I've been just struggling with this whole idea of our language is disappearing right out from under us. I mean, I have been a, a word person my whole life. I'll let you in on a little geek secret here. I used to read the dictionary as a kid. I kid you not. I don't know what was wrong with me, but I used to do that. I just liked words. Um, but it's one of the things, words have always been important because they help us understand what's going on. And if you start changing that, I mean, I can't help but be reminiscent of the Tower of Babel, right? The languages were confused and everybody just separated. Disunity is not the answer for the church. We have got to stay united. We have got to come together. We have got to move forward in such a way where words mean what they mean and we know what we're doing and we're trying to impact the world around us for Christ. Feelings are the ultimate guide. I mean, how many people are getting hurt left and right? And it's like, that's what's dictating how people live, how they conduct themselves, because it's about, well, this is how I feel, and this is what you need to do, and you need to accommodate me. And I think we all know that not everyone's going to get accommodated in this world. Some people are going to feel differently about certain things. Now, interestingly enough, I'm not going to go through these. God is the ultimate guess, again. It's like, yeah, he could be, he might not be. I'm spiritual, I'm not religious, I'm this, 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 There's all kinds of stuff out there. Um, you know, certain people I, was, I talk to from time to time, 
it's interesting the perspectives people have on church and religion and spiritual things. And it's like, it's just amazing. And if we are not going to be trumpeters of truth, um, those lies or those misunderstandings are just going to continue to get perpetuated and believed by people. We have got to, again, I, I want us to think about living out loud, but not living out loud obnoxiously. Because <laughs> um, there, there's a way to be a gracious, loving Christian. And to me, I think when we're allowing Christ to be seen in our lives and through our lives, that's when people are attracted to us, when they see Christ in us. But when we're trying to beat someone on the head about an issue, that can sometimes really turn things a little sour. But judging is the ultimate sin. I find this just hilarious because, you know, we can be judged left and right and we can be demonized like crazy, but that's okay. You know, if we, if we question something, if we say, well, the Bible says, how dare you, the Bible says you're not to judge. It's like, well, then you haven't read the whole Bible because there are places where we're supposed to be discerning on things and we're supposed to differentiate on things. How many of you are moderately happy that we're finally like post-pandemic? <laughs> it's like, yes! Oh. Well, it's interesting though. Um, I was listening to Kerry Newhoff and he shared some post-pandemic thoughts about the church, which I thought were kind of interesting. Uh, he said, crisis was not a disruptor in this instance. It was an accelerator. Uh, it launched us into alternative options. Zoom meetings, virtual appointments, online church, digital proficiency. Um, hybrid church has simply become church for us now. Where people, sometimes you'll watch it online, sometimes you'll show up. In-person events have become more personal. Uh, no one wants to be a number and feeling unnoticed will not be tolerated. Our life has become both deeply digital and deeply personal. I found that interesting, and it's, that was one thing that, as frustrating as the pandemic was, I think it was healthy for the church. I think it demanded us to, to kind of look at things and go, okay, how do we do church in this context? How do we reach people continually and not let this become something that totally derails the church? So I think it's, it's been a healthy thing, um, and we've got to be able to kind of adapt and align and use, again, like every other things, use technology for God's good and not let it be used for something evil. Uh, but today, post-pandemic post equilibrium, we, we can't get so caught up in going back to 2019, getting you know, back to that normal. Uh, some of these things we have to start embracing as things we need to do as we go forward. You know, if you're single today, and you know, you're probably trying to figure out, okay, where am I going forward? When is my life gonna start? How is these things gonna happen? You know, what are my prayer requests for moving forward and honoring God? And you know, for some of you, you're like, when am I gonna get married? And why is my life on hold? And all of those kinds of things. Some of you, the young marrieds are here and they're, figuring out oh, how do I get along with this person and how are we gonna make it and how long will we last and you know, why do they squeeze the toothpaste from the middle and oh my goodness, it's crazy. And some of those things don't change, right? Then we have our young parents 
And it's like they're just busy, 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 busy. Um, I, I deem that as the busiest time of everyone's life when they have young children because all you're doing is running. And that's just kind of a blur, I think, for years until the kids finally become a little bit more self-sustaining. Then there's parents of teens, and I call those the prayer years because it's like, Lord, help me. Lord, help them. Lord, help us all. Because it's like they start having their own opinions and they start having their own ideas and they want their own things, and that's all good. It's hard when it clashes with what we want, but it's still God has us in these times of prayer. Then there's the empty nesters who are kind of finding their equilibrium of, okay, it's you, and I love you, and do I remember who you are? And don't, didn't we have a relationship once upon a time before all this other stuff happened? And then the retirees who thought, wow, my life is going to slow down, and it's only gotten busier, and they can't believe how fast time has gone by. We're on the other side of this. And I think it calls for a restructuring, a realignment, and a refocusing. I use that, that term too often in my life, I think. I, but it's because it's so easy to become ill-focused. Um, I don't know about you, but to me, this world is so loud. It's screaming all around us, trying to get us distracted from the things that God would have us do in our lives and be in our lives. What all these groups can do, because there are different places in life, but what these groups that I just mentioned can do that is similar and likely is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We can all do that in our own little where, you know, station of the world, so to speak. Whether you're single, whether you're a young married, parent, empty nester, et cetera. You can all seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness first in your life. You can also love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Those things are going to bring unity among us. Because when we're all trying to accomplish that, the closer we're getting to God, the closer we're always getting to each other. And as we look at what's happening here, I'm going to get back to the text, I promise. <laughs> but it, as we look at what's happening in 2 Timothy, right, and what, what Paul's trying to communicate here is we have got to be intentional about how we live. Um, I used to mention this to the teens all the time. You can live life or life can live you. It is so easy to hit the alarm, get through the shower, drink your coffee, get in the car, go to work, do your thing, come home, do some stuff, go to bed, get up, hit the alarm. That is so easy to have happen in our life, and it's just this thing that goes on, and it just happens, and all of a sudden, years have gone by, and we're like, what just happened to my life? That's what happens if you let life just take you. But if you live life intentionally, and I believe that's kind of what Paul's asking Timothy to do here, to be a faithful follower, to, to not just get caught up in what's going on in society, to not just let the crowd push you down the calendar. Take control in a positive way, in a spiritual way, in a healthy way of what's going on in your life. Become a faithful follower of Jesus that can impact your family, friends, workplace, church, community, state, country, or even the world. Peter, right? One fisherman 
who had a dramatic impact for God. And you can plug your name right in there if you're willing to be a faithful follower. And I think sometimes people get derailed by that and think, oh, I've got to give everything up and I've got to become, you know, whatever, and a monk and just, you know, hide myself. And that's not true. See, because here, Christ took someone's passion and turned it into something that could transform our world. He's given us all these unique desires and capacities and passions to be used for him. He doesn't want to take those things away from us. He doesn't want to strip us away. You know, every missionary, you know, or person that commits themselves, oh, God's going to send me to Africa because that's where I don't want to go. That's not how God works. It's not. And the same is true when we come to the Lord and say, okay, I'm giving you everything. We get scared there because we think he's going to do something that we're going to hate. God does not work that way. All right, let's get into the text. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. If you're using the Bibles that are out there in the chairs, it's page 1367. Give you a second to get there. Starting in verse 1, it says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Not one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer even to the point of chains but the word of God is not chained therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory pray with me Father, as we come before you this morning, we're thankful for this text. We're thankful for how you've spoken in such a way that is just plain and clear and understandable. Lord, I know you have paths for every person in this room that will bless them, that will bring them joy, that will fulfill their life. I pray, Lord, that hearts and minds will be open to your spirit moving and working and drawing people closer to you as we get through this text. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So a faithful follower, that's what we're kind of focused on here. That's what we're thinking about as far as, okay, what is our life? What is it gonna be? A faithful follower is a catalyst. It says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men. And again, ladies, you're not excluded there. That word is anthropos. It's talking about people. So that you'll be able to commit to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. I love how God puts the things together, right? One of the songs we sang, that seed that was given to us, may it go out and do something else. 
And that's literally what's being talked about here. There's this whole idea of a deposit was made in you, Timothy. Somebody invested in you. And it's one of those things where it's like, I think sometimes we forget, right? You know, we come to Christ and we kind of move on our journey. And it's like, do you ever think about, boy, what would my life be like if that never happened? Think about it. I do, and it scares me. Because I know me, and I know life, and I know what would happen. I mean, and I think, boy, Christ has just kept me in a lane that has done nothing but protect me has been nothing but benefit me. And it's like, I know that without that boundary of Christ, I would have been off the track, through a whatever, down a gully, and crash and burn. I know it. And it's, it, you know, it's, it, it's, I remember the first time I came to that realization that, boy, without Christ, I'm a disaster. I'm a mess. It's because, you know, most of us, I'm a good person, and I'm okay, and I'm trying. And with Christ, yeah, we are. On our own, we're a mess. That's why Christ becomes this, like, incredible person in our life to help give us focus and understanding and clarity to what our heart's really like. And boy, if we're left to ourselves, what'll happen? And that's why being a faithful follower helps us because it's like as we start to take in who God is and what he's doing and his word and why he wants us to, to structure our world in such a way, we start to see the benefits. I mean, I am humbled constantly of God's blessing in my life. Constantly. Because it's like, I know that, boy, look, had I not listened to you, had I not followed you, had I not done what, you know, I wouldn't have had blessing I would have had cursing and I would have had tragedy because that's what happens. When you align to, to God, he brings blessing, he provides things. It doesn't mean it's all happy and wonderful. But because even in those things that are challenging, even those things that are hard, you can see blessing in them. The bad times help us really, oh, the good times are awesome because it could be like that. <laughs> Salvation is the starting place of a disciple, not the destination. Catch that. So many people think, you know, oh, get someone to the Lord, get someone to the Lord, get someone to the Lord. Yes, that's important, that's valuable, that's vital. They are called babies in the Lord at that point. Infants in Christ. And you don't leave babies or infants alone. You nurture them, you care for them, you raise them. And the same is true for us. And I, I know, I came to Christ and you know, all of a sudden that was unimportant. My parents were unsaved when I came to Christ and I was a 10-year-old. And all of a sudden church wasn't as important because I had gotten baptized and that was my mother's fixation, which was really wild. And, but church was like not as important anymore for them. And so I had this span of time that I just kind of existed as a believer. No investment, no growth. I mean, only the stuff that I had prior to that was kind of carrying me. I mean, I see God's hand. Oh boy, he protected, let me tell you. But it was just, it was a very weird thing until I got older and someone kind of started investing in me and started really challenging me the way I lived and what I needed to do. But salvation is a starting point. And so we, if you think, oh, I'm saved and I'm all set, you're at the beginning. There is so much more to the Christian life than just coming to Christ. 
That's awesome. That's amazing. Don't let me mistake that. But there's so much more. See yourself as a learner. Part of verse 2, the things that you've heard from many witnesses. Right? It, it's, it starts this incredible journey of knowing God and who he is and how he can work in your life to impact. I mean, that's the thing. God wants us to have impact, have influence, to touch other people's lives, that the seed that was sown in us to be planted in other people as well. And it's like we all, every single one of us in here have a different sphere of influence. And it's like we are in touch with people that other people aren't in touch with. And I believe that's intentional, <laughs> according to the Lord. But not only that, you have to see yourself as a teacher. Commit these to faithful others. And again, some of us, oh, I can't do that. Again, it's in the context of just this life. Live life out loud for the Lord. Not obnoxiously, <laughs> graciously, humbly. And that's when you can start to really see just you being you and allowing Christ in you to start to flow out of you becomes something different than just, you know, I'm trying to save the world. or I'm try No. The best marriage advice anybody can get is get close to God individually. Because if you're both doing that, you're both getting closer to each other as you get closer to him. Same is true in life. If you want to have impact, get close to God. Because that's when he has you in his hand and he can use you any way he wants. Now, a couple things before we move on because there's some traits. But a couple questions I have for you. Are you open to God using you to impact others in some way? To be that catalyst. Someone who causes change or assists in that change. That's what a catalyst is. Are you open to that? Do you see your sphere of influence as the people God may want you to impact? See, the cool thing about God, and it's a thing that I appreciate, in his long suffering, he just waits for us to put ourselves in his hands and to say, use me. Take my life and use it however you see fit. That scares a lot of people, I understand. But if you want a dynamic, vibrant Christian life, that's what you do. And you get to see God do stuff everywhere. In your life, in other people's lives. Because as you start to get close to God, you go, oh, that's God, oh, that's God. Oh, look at what he did there. Look at what he did there. Look at what he did there. And all of a sudden, you start having this relationship where you see his hand and he starts these divine appointments in your life that are just unbelievable because you're following the Lord. You're a faithful follower. So here's some traits. Uh, a faithful follower develops certain traits. There's three that we're going to share today. Trait one, dedication. Verses three and four, it says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. It's like, oh, I knew it was coming. Hardship? I don't want hardship. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And, and I liken this really to our surrender to the Lord. Dedicate to the Lord. 
But Lord, I am yours and I am in it. And the hardship isn't always horrible, horrific things. Sometimes it's just understanding that, wow, look at the mess we're in. I mean, I just think, boy, what our world would be like if just things were different. And they can be. And here's the group that can do it right here. But we have to believe that. I can't just be me. And yes, we are going to endure some things that are going to be challenging. I'm not going to lie. The Christian life isn't this magic bubble that just like we're in happy land with rainbows and unicorns. That's just fantasy. But the cool part is, is those hard times help us really enjoy the good times. Because it happens. It just does. But dedication as a soldier, difficulty is part of the gig. It marked Jesus' life. I mean, think about it. It had to be difficult. The Creator walking among us, knowing the plans, knowing what it's supposed to look like, knowing what it's supposed to be, knowing how it's supposed to happen, and people just clueless. Can you imagine? And I'm probably like, oh, that's my office. <laughs> but it's like, can you imagine walking around just like, no one understands me. No one gets what I'm really calling them to. People are so concerned about just these daily things, these surface events. I can't imagine the heartache and the anguish that Christ experiences on a regular basis because of people. Yet he loves us and cares for us and reaches out to us. And as we kind of walk that path with him, difficulty is going to be part of that. But if we're dedicated, that becomes more important. Hardship or problems are just opportunities for God to work. Speed bumps that God can overcome. We must stay focused on Jesus, not the present noise that surrounds us. I said that earlier. The, the world is loud. And it's, it's interesting. Because it's like you can go to an, into a room now, say even like a waiting room, and it's pretty quiet. But if you look around, you see why it's quiet. Everyone has earbuds in. And it's like, think about it. You know, now not only is the noise noise really close, but it prevents you from hearing anything else, whether that's good, bad, or indifferent. Because if you don't hear someone saying, there's a car about to hit you, it's going to be bad. But I mean, the noise has gotten closer, the noise has gotten louder, and the noise has become very different than what the, the noise used to be. Uh, we eliminate, if we're going to be dedicated, we eliminate distractions that will prevent us from success. And sometimes these are the things we don't want to do. You know, dedication, it's, it's one of those things where We've got to come to the place where we believe God has every good thing about us to provide. He's not a meanie. He's not trying to make your life miserable. He's not just trying to push back and make things hard. That's not who he is. But he, he's bound to his law. That if you want these things, this is how it happens. I think that's part of the reason why, you know, Paul kind of couches this in a soldier. 
There are these things that can happen, and, but they're in this specific context. And it's like for the rules to all work, it has to be in this context. And if you'll put yourself in this context, we can do unbelievable things as you follow me. So a faithful follower is a catalyst. He develops certain traits. The first one of those being dedication as a soldier. I'm likening that to surrendering to the Lord. So let me ask you a couple questions before we press on. Are you dedicated to following Christ? Which will bring some unfair treatment and potential suffering. Or are you dedicated to flying under the radar, taking the easiest route, not ruffling any feathers, just to blend in? I think Christians for so long have just tried to fit in and just not to disrupt things that we have just become this silent group of people in society that we don't want to get called out on anything. And what happens is, is now we, we aren't standing up and speaking truth into a world that lie and falsehood is abounding in. We have got to be willing. And again, not in an obnoxious way. Because I'll tell you, you can live well and live right and people are going to come to you and go, why are you different? Why do you do that? How come you don't do this? How come this is part of your life? They come to you and ask. I have it happen to me. <laughs> How come this? How come that? God will draw people to you. We, we don't have to go out and hammer them. But we have to be dedicated to following God. R.C. Stedman says this. Our patient suffering is a potent powerful way of guarding the truth of God. See, if we can live in such a way that we are totally reflecting Christ, that is going to make a difference with truth. Because when people say, how come this and how come that? Well, God's word says, this is how I'm supposed to structure my life. God's word says, this is, these are things I'm supposed to add to my life. God's word says, these are things that I really need to take out of my life. And the truth gets perpetuated. We've got to live there. But when we kind of dilute it, we're in danger. All right, trait two, discipline. As an athlete, verse five, and it says, and also if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And the rules here, really, it's talking about boundaries. It's talking about staying in your lane not crossing over, not becoming a hindrance to the other runners uh, or other people that are in this. And it's like, I liken that to be growing like the Lord. The rules, it's, you know, the boundaries that we live in, it's like it's growing and it's understanding that, oh, okay, if I, if I eliminate this from my life, it's, it does make my life better and I see how God's doing this and it becomes something that's positive instead of negative. Uh, to get a little bit more insight here on this whole idea of athletics, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, this is kind of what Paul says about this somewhere else. He says, do you not know that in a race all, run, all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself 
should be disqualified. And so we have to discipline ourselves in such a way where it's easy to say, oh, God says this and God says that. And when someone looks at our life, they go, well, how come you don't do that? <laughs> See, we've got to discipline ourselves so it's, it's part of who we are. It's part, part of how we live. And so it's like our testimony becomes true. Our testimony becomes powerful. Because I find it interesting how the unsaved world, well, the Bible says, it's like, how, why are you reading the Bible? You don't even trust God. I don't get it. I find it interesting. But if we're living according to it, guess what? It kind of makes people unsettled. Because that's what God does. He brings unsettledness into people's lives to say, hey, you could have something better. You could have what I've got. You could have this. And discipline helps that. And again, I'm not talking about this, you know, you've got to strip everything down and you've got to, you know, your life has to become this miserable thing. That's what people think when they think discipline oftentimes. And it's really, it's, it's about embracing this set of principles that we know is only going to benefit us. So that's the thing. God wants to benefit us. He wants to give us good things, healthy things, positive things. And sometimes we see those things as like, oh, I don't know if I want to go there. Because we think what we've got is going to do for us better than what God has. Never. Interesting, just kind of some insight, talking about diligence. Water polo often tops the list of most difficult sports. In 2016, Bleacher Report declared it to be the toughest sport in the world based on six parameters. Strength, endurance, speed, agility, skill, and physicality. On top of treading water for 30 minutes, how many can do that? Not me. Uh, swimming for up to a mile per game, athletes sneak in blows to catch each other, similar to uh, ice hockey and soccer. Uh, while trying not to touch the ground, not drown, score points all at the same time. Um, Nandini Collins, a trainer and exercise physiologist, says water polo is played with reckless abandon and is more violent than most spectators assume. Uh, Dr. Nanesh Rayo, an osteopathic primary care physician who serves as head physician for U.S. men's water polo team, states, water polo is strenuous because it requires both aerobic, used for endurance, and anaerobic, used for sprints, capacity. I don't think anybody just jumps in the water and plays water polo. I think you have to be <laughs> very disciplined to train yourself and train yourself and train yourself to be able to go in and do that. Now again, you know, we think, oh, if I have to have that kind of discipline for a Christian living, ugh. Well, no, that's for water polo. <laughs> that's what God, you have to do that for water polo. No, God wants you to exercise your gifts, exercise your skill set, exercise the things that he's given you passion for. And discipline that in such a way that it can become a loud, vibrant voice for Christ. And you will love it because it's your passion. Dedication in action really is what discipline is. Doing things that will produce God's best outcome. Discipline over personal wants, desires, appetites, and discipline to add necessary attributes for success. I mean, my daughter today is running her second half marathon in a week. She ran one last weekend. She's running another one this weekend. I don't know why. 
But, I mean, it's like, you know, from time to time, I'm like, hey, how's it going, honey? It's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm watching my diet. I'm making sure I don't take these things. I'm, I'm trying to find the best energy resource so when I'm on the course, I can kind of keep going the whole way. And da, da, da. And she's disciplining herself to, like, be prepared. And she has long runs and short runs and all these kinds of things because she has learned to love running. And see, that's the thing. It's, it's like God wants us to take the passions we have, the things that we love, the things that we enjoy, and use them for him. See, it can be amazing in our life if we actually surrender here, if we dedicate to him, surrender to the Lord, discipline our lives, grow to be like him. A follower's discipline results in an incorruptible and in, I'm sorry, Let's try that again. A follower's discipline results in an incorruptible and immoral crown that will fade away. But in God's economy, all who run will receive a prize. In man's economy, all will run, but only one will receive. See how God works? He knows where we're at. He knows how we work. He knows how we move forward. All right, thirdly, Oh, no, I have questions. Sorry. Are we more willing to discipline ourselves for physical things versus spiritual things? Dun, dun, dun. Do you see disciplined living as restrictive or freeing? Because I would submit to you that it's very freeing. Do you see living disciplined now will have future benefits? How we live now makes a difference. For eternity. Just so you know. All right, trade three, diligence. And we have diligence as a farmer. Verse six, it says, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. So diligence as a farmer. And I, I see this as telling others about the Lord. And you're like, boy, that's a stretch, Dave. Yep, it is. <laughs> Absolutely. But when you kind of hear my... Reasoning for it, it might make sense. This is very visible living, right? A farmer. They're going to till the ground. So you see someone tilling the ground, you know, oh, something's up. Something's happening. You see him plant the seed, okay? He's preparing the crop. So it's like he's out there doing his thing. Then he's tending the crop, preparing the harvest. Then he's reaping the harvest, right? And you see all the, I mean, how many of you love to go watch and see some of these cornfields once they're full? I mean, I don't love that, but it's like, it's interesting. I know when we drove cross country, there's one whole area that that's all you see is rows and rows of corn for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. It's just boring. <laughs> but it's amazing when you just see these straight lines forever. So it's like, it's no wonder why we have so much corn in our society. But then he gets to partake of the fruit. Right? And what is that? That is preserving life. Not only for him, but also for others. And that's why this whole aspect of you know, telling other people about the Lord, about being diligent. And again, it's really diligent just to sustain Christian life, Christian living. It's easy to live like the world. Too easy. And that's why we get sucked into it so many times. We have got to be diligent to stay strong in the Lord, stay strong in his truth, stay strong in his principles. I've been all newsy today, so I'll keep going. Here's, the, here's today's farmer's job description. 
you want to be a farmer, listen up. The responsibilities of a farmer include performing physical labor, operating heavy machinery, and supervising farm workers. To be successful as a farmer, you should demonstrate a passion for the outdoors, knowledge of agricultural machinery, and physical stamina. Ultimately, a top-notch farmer should possess physical strength, good hand-eye coordination, and a keen interest in agriculture. Typical farmer's responsibilities are performing manual labor, performing maintenance on the farm, handling heavy machinery, repairing faulty vehicles and machinery, managing farm activities, overseeing farm workers, devising strategies for harvesting or breeding, liaising with clients. Requirements are experience in farming industry, knowledge of farming best practices, able to work long hours on location, good communication skills, must be physically fit, and excellent eye-hand coordination. Who wants to sign up? Talk about diligence, right? And this is just to, to, to produce something, whether it's you know, breeding or whether you're producing food, to sustain life. There's a lot of diligence that goes into that. And there needs to be a, a level of diligence into our spiritual walk to be a faithful follower. To, to have it be something where it's like, you know, we're having someone, you know, I call it having a, having a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. You know, you have someone who's investing in you. You need to find that person in your life that's spiritually investing, spiritually challenging you, spiritually mentoring you. Then you need to have that Barnabas, that somebody who's like kind of at the same level that you can relate to, that you can moan and groan and say, oh, this stuff is crazy. And then you need to have that Timothy that you're actually pouring into and challenging and helping to grow. And when we have that kind of an environment, that whole idea of being a faithful follower and challenging those around us in healthy and positive ways, we become a unified force to be reckoned with because God is leading us and we are following him. A couple things, we're almost done. Home stretch. Faithful follower is motivated by Christ's sacrifice. But before that, do you invest in your relationships by planting spiritual seeds and nurturing them to their best potential? Are you willing to put yourself out there by sharing how God has changed your life? Because sometimes that can be, have huge impact for somebody. Hey, here's my life, and this is what God did, and here's my life now. And people can see that and go, whoa. Final point, home stretch, here we go. A faithful follower is motivated by Christ's sacrifice. Verses 7 to 10. Verse 7, it says, Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the points of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is not man's message. This is God's message. And we've got to start learning how to embrace that and, and have that become part of our life. Christ, the Messiah, was prophesied to come through the seed of David. This has been a long time coming. This is not just some off-the-cuff kind of thing that's happened. This is God's plan for how stuff is supposed to work. Jesus was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. He's not asking us to do that. He's like, I've done it for you. I've done all the payment. I've done all the work. Now you get to benefit from the fruit of this. And follow me. Dedicate yourself to me. Discipline yourself toward me. 
Be diligent in my truth. I mean, think about your sin. We don't like to do that. I don't like to do that. It's no fun. But that had me on a trajectory toward a very not happy place. And Christ changed that for us all. And and that literally has to be the most significant reason why we walk after the Lord. Is because how much he loves us and what he did for us to prove that love and the change that it made in our life and what it provides for us today. Paul staked his reputation on this gospel. Labeled an evildoer, imprisoned in chains, all for the sake of furthering the gospel for others beyond himself. And that's where we have to live too. I'd rather tell somebody about Christ and have them go, oh, you're one of those fanatics and just write me off than not say anything. So where did we start? Verse 1, you therefore, my son, my daughter, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Salvation is the starting place for this to happen, right? We're all his people that he wants to follow after him. God is looking for faithful followers to invest in others who will 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 invest in others. You need to see yourself as a catalyst for this to happen. Get involved. You need to develop personal traits that will enhance yourself as a catalyst. Dedication, discipline, diligence. Pick one and just work on it. I'm not trying to overwhelm you today. I'm just trying to challenge you. That Christian living, if you're just kind of like, it's this thing that I do, it can be far better than that. Your motivation should be Christ's sacrifice, that he transformed your life to the extent that you want to share that with others. I don't know if I said this at the beginning, but I'm going to end with it as well. Hillel, who was a first century scholar, said this, if not you, then who? If not now, then when? God calls us all to be faithful followers. Let's enjoy it, embrace it, and see the good that comes from it. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word, thankful for just the truth that's there that challenges us, Lord, and sometimes we just get overwhelmed by it. And Lord, you don't say these things to make us feel bad. You say these things to empower us, to enable us to be the best men and women that we could possibly be, the men and women that you've designed us to be. Lord, we trust that you're going to work in our lives in incredible ways. Lord, I'm thankful for your long-suffering and patience with me, that you waited for me to dedicate things to you for too much time. Lord, we trust that as we leave today, we will be changed, that your words will ring in our mind, and that we will walk away with something that will draw us closer to you and enhance our relationship with you. We thank you, we praise you, and it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Have an amazing week.